Hello and welcome to part two of episode three of season two of Nkosi Sigelela with me, your host, Nkolule Nkosi. And on this part of the podcast or the segment of the podcast, um, we were hoping, well, I'm still hoping to carry on the conversation from earlier on today where we had Sepulitia, a businessman, engineer, and the host of what he calls uh, the late night show with Sepulitia. And we had him talking about um, small businesses, black businesses, and specifically the taxi industry um, as one of the industries that have been hit by the uh, coronavirus um, economically and otherwise. And, you know, we 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 kind of went through but it also felt it felt like uh most of what we were saying with Sepo um was from this biased point of view uh of people that have been uh, been despondent i guess uh for quite some time with the taxi industry as a whole and i thought it would be important to balance out the conversation with um another point of view and to do this i invited uh oliver underscore speaking on twitter uh but i know him as oliver dixon um a former debater uh broadcaster uh and recently a businessman congratulations on that oliver and welcome to the podcast hey thanks for having me man um i've been wanting to be on your podcast for two years now yeah man hey i finally started i know i was making noise uh, about this thing, but I, I saw you. Yeah. I saw your thread uh, about the taxi industry, and then I thought, you know what? Uh, I, I would like to continue having this conversation because uh, before then, I don't think I'd had uh, a perspective like that, especially a perspective that humanizes and sort of makes this industry make sense beyond the human level, and also. Uh, on a yeah. financial point of view to say that this could very well be uh, a financial industry so i don't know what, what what got you thinking about 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 the taxi industry to begin with so that thread you're referring to um i actually it's a column i wrote actually for news 24 in 2017 so that was like three years ago yeah um and i wrote it the day after there was a major taxi strike in in Joburg. Taxi drivers had blocked off the N1 on both sides, N1 North and N1 South. And as you know, N1 North and South are basically the arteries of Joburg, of Gauteng, actually. Um, it, it, it's what connects the economy geographically. And they blocked yeah. it off on that day. And nobody could get to work. People couldn't get in and out of Santon. Uh, people couldn't travel to and from Pretoria. People couldn't get anywhere, um, couldn't even get into Rosebank uh, because I think Jan Smuts may have also have been blocked out. It was a big surprise for a lot of people because uh, that particular taxi strike wasn't planned in advance. It's not a thing we knew about. It sort of just happened that morning. Uh, they took us by surprise and, and it was great frustration. Um, it, 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 and the noise around that protest reminded me a lot of the Fees Must Fall protest. Um, I don't know if you remember that particular day that the, the, the pivot point of the Fees Must Fall protest was on the day where VIT students and UJ students coordinated a protest to Lutuli House. And so yeah. 
UJ students were going to protest coming from UJ Auckland Park campus. They were going to meet us at the Wits Empire Gate and we were all going to just protest from the Empire entrance of Wits all the way into Johannesburg CBD uh, to there. And I remember, I don't know how it happened, but a car was tipped outside of Wits on Empire Road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a guy was going to work that morning. I think he was going to KPMG and his car got tipped. And I think, yeah, the car got tipped and it, it was a big thing. And that's the day the media coverage started for Fismas Ford. But they also then called us hooligans on that particular day. Um, but the noise on the radio and on television and on social media was the inconvenience for people to mm. get to work. And that inconvenience, I think, was an important moment for us because it got people's attention. Similarly, the taxi strike that day got my attention. Um, it's an industry I'm not a big fan of. Um, I, I am a driver in Johannesburg, so you can imagine the frustration I have on the roads because of taxis. So I'm not very fond of taxi drivers, but it's an industry that's important. Um, it holds the economy together, quite literally. If the taxi industry tomorrow decided to stop operating altogether, this entire country's economy would collapse. Um, and it, so we have to take it serious as an industry. But I think humanizing them is also, humanizing the industry is also really important uh, because it, 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 it brings us closer to what their problems are. And it makes us realize that their problems are one, very, very big problems, very unique obstacles that they face, but also important and beyond their control. So we must sort of try and assist the industry as best as we possibly can. So I said that day and I, and I did some basic research around taxis and there's some, there's amazing research out there. And I, I think I read a stats essay report about um, the taxi industry, how much money circulates through the industry per year, per day, um, uh, how many people make use of the, of, of the taxi industry um, and for what purposes, uh, for what sort of travel. Is it work travel? Is it educational travel? Is it personal travel? That sort of stuff. And so um, I, I read that particular report um, and getting that information helped me form a perspective on the industry. Um, and that's when I wrote that column in 2017. And so last week when there was the big taxi strike, once again, I just decided, why, why don't I just rehash that column? And I just basically tweeted out exactly what I said there. I copy and pasted it, to be quite honest. Um, and, 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 and pretty much that. So it's I, to think three years later, like every word of it is still yeah. relevant. It's quite, it's quite shocking. And for me, I, I guess um, it felt as though there is a greater need from the thread and I guess from your column that or for government to at some point um, intervene um, in a in a whether it, it comes in a form of um, a short-term relief given the situation that we're in but I also think there's 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 a there's a, a need to discuss a possible way to um, finance or find a solution that is financially sustainable, that is logistically sustainable, uh, but for a long-term uh, perspective. Do you think this is something that, that that can happen? I mean, like you correctly said, it's, it's it's been quite some time. I mean, you wrote this thing three years ago, but 
today it feels like i don't know feels like it was written yesterday i suppose yeah um so yeah you're right there's need for short term relief um and the short term relief has a lot to do with the lockdown covid-19 um so the short relief is to that effect uh the government put a billion rand on the table which translates to about 5000 rand per taxi uh that's not nearly enough um if you look at the sort of relief government offered other businesses it's shocking that they were willing to spend up to 100000 rand in relief for some businesses but only want to give 5000 rand per taxi um and a taxi essentially employs three people the taxi owner obviously makes money off of profit uh then there's the tax by, by the way just most taxi drivers are employees they don't own taxis yeah um most taxi drivers are and it's not even an official sort of employment right um and then there are in 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 in, in, in Joburg we call them marshals and in 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 the western cape they call them gaichis weird name i don't know where it comes from but those are the three people that benefit directly off of a single taxi but taxis also pay association fees right um and association fees are basically paying rent for the taxi rank um and off of that uh there's money that goes towards upkeep there's money that goes towards um electricity sometimes even security and stuff like that uh, although that's seldom the case so directly there are about three people that immediately uh benefits off of a taxi and then there are the extension of it multiple people who by extension of the industry benefit from it so i don't know if 5000 rand per taxi will be enough relief given that three people are meant to be extracting value from that um so i don't know if the billion rand is enough i think i don't think the taxi industry is insane for asking for 4 billion rand um 4 billion rand would work out to about 20,000 rand per taxi which i i think is a reasonable amount to ask given that it's not one person that benefits from it it's multiple people so there is a need for a, a short term relief but there is an important argument to be made for long term relief or what we call subsidization which is basically the argument i made for in my thread to say that the taxi industry must step in Now a lot of people have been asking me yeah but Oliver where's the money going to come from if we subsidize the taxi industry where is that money coming from and um of I think I think we have a poor understanding just as a people of how public finance works and when I ask for subsidization I don't ask for the government to put money directly into the hands of yeah. taxi drivers although that would be a really nice thing if they did that and could afford it but as Tito Mboweni told us just last week we were projected what a 700 billion rand uh, uh debt balloon that we should be expecting debt to gdp ratio ballooning as well so we don't have the money we, we just simply don't have the money so how can government uh, fund and subsidize the taxi industry in terms of long term relief is through um loan guarantees um similar to how government bails out or how government stands as a guarantor for state owned enterprises right so when escom goes out to borrow money whether it be from china the chinese development bank the brics development bank the imf or whatever the case may be 
those institutions say to Eskom, well, your, your, your financials don't look too great. I can borrow you the money. I have it. But yeah. I need guarantee that you'd be able to pay the money back if you default on these loans. And the government stands as that guarantor. And so uh, I, I would like for the government to do exactly the same for the tax industry because the biggest obstacle financially for the tax industry is the interest rates and the premiums they pay per month uh, on their taxes. Because remember, it's very seldom that they buy a taxi cash. Uh, those vehicles are incredibly expensive. Um, they also have to pay. Uh, they also have to pay insurance, association fees, salaries maintenance uh, vehicle maintenance which uh, you can imagine just how quickly a taxi uh, picks up mileage so vehicle maintenance is a big issue there especially if we value road roadworthiness in this country um and then there are other things um such as just like everyday operational costs right um and and the taxi industry has been accused of not paying tax but they're the biggest contributors to our fuel levy, which is a tax, a form of tax. Yeah. So they do, in fact, indeed pay tax. Um, and some taxi owners, especially those who own fleets, go as far as paying income tax uh, or corporate income tax in, in, in many instances. So um, the government should just stand as a guarantor. So taxi owners are charged like sometimes ridiculous interest rates up to like 30%, which is ridiculous. So yeah. what I think the subsidization should be, the state should go to the banks and say, look, you can lend money to a taxi owner, a person who wants to buy a taxi, charge them 5% interest or zero interest. And if they yeah. default on the loan, we will be the guarantor, right? That's I think is important. Why do taxis get charged high premiums in terms of interest rates and monthly premiums? It's because the financiers want to make their money back as quickly as possible. Taxis are high-risk vehicles. They age very quickly because they're on the road all the time. And because they're also on the road all the time, they're at a higher probability of ending up in a vehicle accident. And, and if they're in a vehicle accident or if they break down and are in service, the taxi owner loses money right and if he loses money he or she can't pay the loan um, and that puts financiers in a precarious position so they do lend out the money but they want to make it back as quickly as possible at least the principal of the principal loan they want to make back as quickly as possible and so the, how do you do that you shoot up your interest rate and, yeah. and and that's and that's the real big problem so the long term so that's just one solution right i i i i could be wrong on 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 that being the most effective there could be others some people who work in finance know how to structure loan agreements know how to structure debt um debt financing and and, and so those sort of things those people are much smarter in a better position than i am to be able to consider that but i think the government has the the muscle to be a guarantor at least or what the government could do which they've done once um is to offer just like a a a a, a once-off subsidy so I don't know if you recall, but there was a there was a program, a government program in 2000, and may have been somewhere between 2008, I think, before the World Cup, and they may have done it again, or at least the second phase of that program, mm -hmm. somewhere around 2012, where they went into the communities and they said, "We're going to remove every single 
unroadworthy taxi from the streets. We're going to remove it. We're going to de- confiscate them and literally go and demolish them because they're not roadworthy. They're putting people's lives at risk. But what we'll do is we will give the taxi owner a once-off payment. And I don't know how much the payment was, but hypothetically speaking, let's say it was 50,000 rand. We will confiscate your taxi, but we'll give you 50,000 rand as, 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 as a start to go and buy a brand new taxi or a second-hand taxi that is safe, that's not aged to the point where the thing is puts people's lives at risk. So there's also that option for them to do it again without confiscate, without confiscating the taxes. They can just say, look, let's put money into your hands or if you want to buy a taxi, especially if you're a young person, because unemployment is massive un- uh, amongst young people, 56%. So if you're a person under the age of 35 from Kululeko, come to me, um, show, prove to me that you have the intention of buying a taxi, prove to me that you've paid some sort of deposit on it, that you've got a loan approved for it, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you 100,000 Rand cash um to contribute towards you buying the taxi um and i hope that you pay it back to me via the fuel levy as you run the road every single day for the next five ten years um so that's another model um there are many other models out there i, I don't know but there is need for both short-term relief and long-term relief yeah and i think a lot of people at least the, the people that agree with um that government at some point will have to step in um Although we may disagree, I, I think a lot of people who, in, in principle um, would want to see a better performing taxi industry that is backed by the state. But then I know a lot of people were also concerned about whether or not the taxi industry would require some oversight role from the state or some uh, monitoring from the state for example things like um registration licensing so forth and so on and whether or not the state sort of has the the capacity to uh, perform that function considering that i mean it would be weird for the state to sort of just give someone money and go like well we hope you self-regulate because i think financing is one of the big big problems yes but there seems to be this other problem of whether or not the industry itself can regulate can make sure that things like competition innovation inclusion um, are important but as it stands right now it seems as if i mean still the same players it's a lot of violence um i don't think i need to say more but I, so, I, I mean, I think, yeah i mean uh, the taxi industry is brilliant at self-regulating this is an industry that 25 years ago 28 years ago was illegal right yeah taxi industry only became a legal industry at the start of the 90s they were able to organize and perform while being an illegal industry and when they were recognized and were legal they were still able to organize and and the associations are doing amazing jobs at at, at regulating so the industry does self-regulate what does it need to self-regulate against because competition is in almost all instances fair. Yeah, some instances where a a, a, a taxi owner uh, might have massive sway in a particular association and might lock other people out of lucrative routes, um, those things happen. But oftentimes, 
um, it, it, it self-corrects, right? And, and people, associations have meetings, they have AGMs, like every other organization. They vote on, on any committee. Um, the committee rotates. And, 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 and so these things, it's an industry that regulates pretty decently itself. Why does government need to regulate it? I don't think government needs to regulate it at all. Um, but the big, the, because there was a government commission, there was, I, f- I forgot the name of the commission, but there was a commission that was set up to look into taxi violence. I think, if we can sort out the financing part, we will in large part mitigate against taxi violence. Why does taxi violence exist? Because everybody wants the lucrative route. Everybody wants the key route. And so you find instances where taxi drivers steal customers on those routes that they're not supposed to be on just so that they can make their daily talks, right? And if taxi owners know that they are being subsidized by the government, so in Botswana, for instance, the government puts money directly into the hands of taxi drivers, sorry, taxi owners, directly into their hands. They don't fight for routes because they know they're not going to go hungry end of the month. But taxi drivers in South Africa worry if they may be able to make their monthly payment, their installment. And if they can't, and if they default on it for three months, they their vehicle gets repossessed, right? Um, and, 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 and in those instances, their livelihood is taken away from them. And so it really just becomes a violent situation. And so the competition is rife. But once you give them a sense of security by saying, we will subsidize you, we will make sure that you don't default on your loan. Or even if you do default on your loan, we will be your guarantor to make sure that your taxi doesn't get repossessed and your livelihood get gets stripped away from you. That mitigates against the risk of of people competing for lucrative routes and taxi violence. I think would uh, decrease significantly. I'm not saying it's going to go away entirely because you can't get rid of greedy people, but securitizing the industry is an incredibly important step towards reducing violence. Um, I've been, and, 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 and maybe we should also talk about the security of the, of the consumer here, because my, in, in my hometown where I come from, Ranfontein, uh, the, uh, the local taxi association there released an announcement a week and a half ago that they were going to increase the taxi fare from a township called Mushageng, which is the biggest township in Ranfontein. Um, they want to increase the taxi fare there. I think it was it was ten rand or nine rand. Uh, they they were going to increase it all the way to nineteen rand. And the people complained, right? Uh, people can't afford that. South African families, the average South African family already spends sixty percent of their salaries on transportation. Sixty percent of their salaries on transportation, and travel um, two hours per day, two to three hours per day to their places of work. Some travel five hours per day to their places of work and home. Um, and, 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 and that's ridiculous, considering that the average CEO in South Africa travels no more than 15 minutes to get to the office, right? So um, it, it, something must be done. And, and, and it, there's, a, there's a variety of reasons. Um, unreliable public transport so trains are also unreliable that's why people travel longer but also just we live far from work and school we live really far from work and school if you live yeah. in a township um and that's about its spatial planning so government has to do something about that because it's 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 pro- it's it's mandate to do so uh given that it's an, a government that has to undo the the legacy of apartheid um and 
And so it's important that uh, if government steps in and regulates, the extent of its regulation should be a price regulatory role. Um, and are there successful price regulators in this country that protects us? Yes, there are. Our water is price regulated. Our electricity is price regulated by the National Energy Regulator, NERSA. Um, our bread prices are regulated. Um, and by the way, bread prices in this country, as you know, are subsidized as well, right? Um, this is why we pay 15 rand for bread and not 45 rand. Um, and it's interesting. I, I, I once spoke to Lesis Chakanyakwa. We were at a gala event one evening uh, in Cape Town after a budget speech. And he and I, over a glass of wine, had a debate about uh, the role of the Reserve Bank. And he pulled out a chart. And you remember the, the, the debate around the role of the Reserve Bank was a hot debate yeah, at the yeah. time because of the public protector report. And he pulled out his phone and he showed me this graph on his phone. And he said, if it weren't for the Reserve Bank, uh, making sure that price security is a, is, is a priority in this country, you would be paying 60 Rand for a loaf of bread now. Here's a graph uh, illustrating what bread would have cost without the, the Reserve Bank being a price regulator. Uh, by price regulation, I mean currency. Um, and here's a graph of what you pay for bread today. And I thought that was really interesting. We need a similar attitude uh, and dedication towards taxi fare and transportation costs. And so I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to travel to various African countries. And I can tell you two things are incredibly expensive in South Africa, cost of transportation and data costs. In in, in, in I, was on, I was on a taxi in Zimbabwe about two years ago or so, and I had gotten to Harare. I was in Harare CBD, and I needed to go to a place uh, called um, um, Arcadia. No, it's further than Arcadia, um, um, but it's, 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 it's a place on the outskirts of the city. And the equivalent distance would be to travel from Johannesburg CBD to Santon. And I don't know how much you pay on that route now. I think you pay 15 Rand. Um, but I paid 50 cents US dollar, which the equivalent would have been 7 Rand at the time. 50 cents to get on the taxi to get there. I was in Tanzania about similarly two, three years ago. And uh, I, I spent nothing more than 10 Rand to go anywhere in that city. Nothing more than 10 Rand. I've been on a taxi in Botswana, I've paid nothing more than five Pula. Uh, the equivalent would be six, seven rand. Um, I've I've been on a taxi in in uh, Nigeria. Similarly, I, I don't think I spent more than uh, fifty naira. Fifty naira would be about ten rand. So, I've uh, been on a taxi in Ethiopia. Similarly, uh, you wouldn't pay that much. Uh, so in South Africa, you pay we pay about three, four times more for our trans for our public transport. Uh, than people in the countries I've just mentioned. And if you use public transport anywhere in the continent, sure, it's it's not as safe as in South Africa. Some of the taxis in Zimbabwe leaves much to be desired, uh, but it, it, it doesn't burn a hole in the pocket of the people who use it. And that's incredibly important. So government, if... Oh, wait, snap. Are we still there? Yeah, yeah. It's still, it, oh, it's still continuing, yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought... Uh, it, I, a message popped up. Oh, you're good, you're yeah, good. Yeah, Continue. Yes. Cool. So government, if if anything, 
needs to protect the consumers as well um, against skyrocketing costs. Um, and the the taxi industry has been has been good at maintaining costs because they know if people can't afford a taxi, they're going to go use trains, and they don't yeah. want that right? because every time they increase their prices. Uh, you see a migration of people from taxi to trains, um, and 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 right now we have about what uh, 11 million South Africans. Um, sorry, in total, government commutes 15 million South Africans on trains and buses. Now we only have rapid uh, transit systems systems in Johannesburg, in Pretoria, in Cape Town, in Ekuruleni, in Bloemfontein. And there may be in Durban. I don't know. Um, I've never I've never been on a bus there, but it's the things we call Riavaya, Ariang, um, My City. Those 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 things um, are government funded, right? And lo- usually that happens at a local government level. Uh, cities and municipalities run those, um, and in some instances, I think provinces run those as well. Uh, but Trains is a national thing. That's where Prasa is. And together, those two industries transport 15, uh, 11 million people, excuse me, 11 million people. Uh, but those people oftentimes also then use taxes on top of that. And the taxi industry takes about 15 million South Africans to work and to school. So you can imagine if those 15 million people suddenly can't afford those taxes anymore, it's going to put immense pressure on our trains and on our buses that those systems will collapse. So to safeguard against those systems collapsing, price regulation may be, and there may be a need for that. And government can only price regulate insofar as it makes sure that taxi drivers and taxi owners don't go hungry. So subsidize them. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you put, you put it perfectly that uh, perhaps after price stability and price um, regulation, Things like market conduct, uh, competition protection, um, consumer protection, those things uh, might follow. But I, I want to move on a little bit uh, because I think there's a there's a there's a there's a challenge in South Africa where people think everything that is for public interest or anything that is for public good needs to be owned or driven by government. And I was making this example with with uh, Tepo earlier on um, to say that, you know, the selling selling food, for example, is a, is a consideration uh, that that lies at the heart of government, you know, that government will always be interested in how much the price of food is. And, you know, allowing private uh, individuals, private companies, to undertake that 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 responsibility of of, of buying of, of buying and selling food. Government sort of knows that if I get a private actor to do this for me, it's efficient. It's you know, um, it's that private actor has capacity and things like that. But it seems as though, and and I know a lot of people have been talking about the reason that. Um, the taxi industry even exists today in the form that it exists is because government hasn't made sufficient investment in uh, public transportation in South Africa. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. Government bails out farmers, right? So if if farmers go through a drought too long, 
and their businesses are at risk of shutting down. Uh, food security is an important consideration for the government, so they bail out farmers. Um, so, I mean, if we can, and, and farmers are private players, right? Um, so we, we can use that example um, as, as, as some sort of ad, advocacy for precedence and say it already exists that you bail out in the public interest uh, and taxes are in the public interest. Um, look, so I read once, I, I don't know who wrote this, um, and, and, and I wish I could find the person who, who made this who made the statement. But I read once someone said um, the true test of a working democracy is not how many people can afford luxury goods or it's not how many poor people can afford luxury goods, but how many rich people feel comfortable using public goods. So that's to say, if you're a well-off person and you can afford private health care, but you say to yourself, I don't need to go to a private hospital because the public hospitals are good enough. I don't need to drive my own car to work because the trains are good enough. That's when you know your democracy is working, right? Um, and we saw a little bit of this with the how train, although shit expensive, but if it's efficient and it works, Right, and how train is, is 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 in many ways a government project. Although the Pombela concession is a weird agreement, um, because profits are being made by private players and not the government, but government bails it out. It's, it's a weird agreement. I wish I could understand it, but that's the point: is is that for your democracy to be good, your public service must be comparable to that of a private player. But yeah. we must be honest that government will never get to that level because government is not profit-driven. Private players, because they make vast amounts of profits, have a lot of money to reinvest into product development, R&D, and scaling and um, efficiency in production lines and those sort of things. Um, And so in those instances, they're quicker, they're better, uh, but more expensive. Government needs to make sure that they can provide a good enough product, not necessarily the best product, but a good enough product at, a, at an affordable rate. And that costs money. We must also recognize that public transport was not something that the apartheid government considered or even cared about. And so it was inaccessible for black people. So let's not pretend as though the government today did absolutely nothing. It commutes 11 million people every day. 11 million people. That's, and, and they were able to do that in what, 24, 26 years. That's, a, that's I think, a lot of work. Not enough, but it's a lot of work. Um, and we're also a, a, a population that, that out, we grow faster, our population grows faster than our economy. And so government has a problem on its hands about transporting more and more people with a smaller and smaller budget Um, and unfortunately that is a very very big challenge one that they created themselves but i'm not going to pretend as though they did absolutely nothing 11 million people is a a shit ton of people that they do also uh, transport Uh, but if they were able to invest more and more and more and more into transportation they would have gotten there quicker and investing into transportation is not just buying buses and making bus tickets free it's also an investment in the infrastructure 
right? Our road network is an incredibly sophisticated road network in Johannesburg, at least, right? Um, and it's 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 world class. Uh, if you've if you've been on any of the Johannesburg highways, you know it's a world class highway, um, and that took a lot of investment. Unfortunately, we don't see that level of infrastructure development proportionally across the country. Um, you see it concentrated in the in the main cities, um, and 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 that's the extent to which government invests into into uh, ensuring that a public transport system exists. The infrastructure as well as the actual transport system are a consideration in that instance. So I'd like to see um, I'd like to see government investing more in in ensuring that more buses are on the road, that trains are more efficient. If people weren't stealing money at Prasa and at Metro Rail, uh, we, we, would have, we would have been in a much better position uh, because our trains wouldn't be late. We'd have more trains on our tracks. We'd have more train stations. We'd have more coaches and we'd transport more people. Um, and today we wouldn't have this big problem we have on our hands or at least to the extent that we have this problem. So we definitely need more investment in that, but we also just need less corruption. Yeah. And I think on that note, uh, I'm going to wrap it up. But uh, I mean, um, extremely grateful for making this time to talk to us. I know it's pretty late in the day. Um, but as your as parting words, how do we get it right? Um, bail out. Bail them out. Bail out. Give them money. Give them Give money. money. Um, and 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 what I saw, what I saw, and maybe let me say what I think should also be a consideration. When Tito Mboweni bailed out ESCOM last year, he said to ESCOM, "I'm going to give you what is it, 26 billion rand, but we're going to spread yeah. it over the next three years." Fikilo um, Malula says to the tax industry, "We only have a billion rand now, and we're going to give it to you, and you're going to take it." I think that money, that, that, that amount must be met at the demands of the taxi industry. So I think 4 billion rand. And I think the taxi industry are being generous. Um, I think they should ask for 10 billion rand. And it doesn't have to be an immediate payout. It could be 10 billion over the next five years. And in that instance, um, I think we can create the short-term relief, uh, which is necessary. But consider structural uh, reforms for to enable for subsidization to take place um, and we'll have a more efficient public transport system and I think that's important for this economy Oliver thank you so much man um, where can people find you um, subscribe to my YouTube channel it's Oliver speaking uh, follow me on Twitter Oliver underscore speaking on Instagram it's the same and on Facebook it's just Oliver Dixon um, let's engage yeah um in case you're wondering oliver recently did a, a review of um only fans content so uh even if you're not a great fan of this podcast and a great fan of other podcasts i'm sure you'll find his views quite insightful and from <laughs> me your host um i'd like to thank you all five of you i think this week maybe we're six we're great uh thank you for joining <laughs> and yeah Adios. Cheers. Oliver, thanks, man. Cheers. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it.